Hey, welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor and I'm one of the pastors here. If you watch online regularly, we would love to chat with you. If you wouldn't mind sending me an email, let me know who you are uh, at taylor at infuse.church. We have some things to share with you that are upcoming in 2020 that involve you and we would love for you to be a part of them. So please send me an email. Now, today is the final part of our series, Welcome Home. And we're gonna be talking about how no one likes it when home isn't going well. When our relationships in our home aren't doing well, or at least doing well for others that are, especially those that are closest to us, we don't like it. So what do we do about it? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm so glad you're here. Well, welcome uh, to the conclusion of our series, uh, Home for Christmas. Welcome to those of you watching online. Uh, speaking of the happiest times of the year uh, and Christmas, um, the happiest time uh, this coming Tuesday uh, during the day is going to be at 4 p.m. That will be the happiest point of the day Tuesday because uh, if you're here, you'll be enjoying our Christmas Eve service and it should be a really good one. And so I hope that you can make it. Um, there's going to be some treats and there's going to be a fun photo booth and there's going to be uh, maybe a decent message or so and uh, just a great time to celebrate the birth of Jesus uh, before and during the service. So I hope, hope if you're in town and you're available, you'll be here uh, to celebrate with us. Now, uh, I wanted to start with a little bit of a story, and it's a story um, that I, I don't make up. Um, this is honest, truth story, as close to the quotes as I can get it kind of a story. Um, not that I ever don't, but I just realized sometimes if you ever listen to a speaker or a communicator or a pastor for long enough, you kind of wonder, like, are these made-up stories just to fit in with the message? And this one is not, nor do I ever do that. Um, but this past Monday, um, we... Uh, uh, we needed to get the mail because uh, we hadn't gotten the mail at that point in the day. And so uh, we live on some back private roads um, uh, and association roads. And so Stephanie, uh, my wife, said, um, you should take Elia to go get the mail. Okay, and so just in case you don't know myself and my family, here, here they are. Okay, and so my wife, that, that's that one, and then... <clears throat> And then uh, Elia, the, the oldest, uh, the oh, soon-to-be two-year-old, and I hop in uh, the car to drive down to the mailbox, and uh, she sits up with me because it's private roads. I know that's dangerous, but that's where she sits, okay? So, um, because she just thinks it's fun, and I think it's fun. So anyways, we drive to the, get the mail uh, from the mailbox, and then we kind of drive around the neighborhood and kind of see Christmas lights, that kind of stuff. And then we start coming home, Okay. And before, this is dark out, right, because it's like 5 o'clock, because that's when it gets dark, or 6 o'clock. Um, before we get home, before our house enters, like, the field of view, Elia, sitting next to me on the passenger seat, says, home. She says, home. And I think, at least for, like, a 23-month-old, that, that was pretty impressive. I'm like, wow, that you recognize, even in the dark, where we are, and that what is upcoming is our home. And so I responded and I said, yeah, it's our home. And then what really struck me is what she said next. She said, Evie, which is her way of saying Everly, our youngest, or two-month-old. And I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's really sweet. That she recognizes that we're going home, and then she recognizes um, that at our home is her sister, Evie. And I said, yeah, Evie. And then she chimes back in and says, Mama, Dada. And I said, yeah, that's where mama and dada are 
as well. It's just kind of like this really touching moment um, with, with my daughter. And, and kind of as I f- uh, processed through this, and I told Stephanie when, when I got home what had happened, I was like, that, that's pretty unique um, that a 23-month-old not only recognizes what home is, but she recognizes the most important thing, things, people there. Because she doesn't say ice cream, because she loves ice cream. She doesn't say Anna from Frozen, because even at 23 months old, she just, like, is infatuated. I don't know what they do in these movies that get the kids, like, if there's, like, it's just almost hypnotic to these children anyways, and she's all about Anna right now. She didn't mention her toys. She said Evie and Mama and Dada. That was what was most important to her. And that's something that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. In fact, in the first week of this whole series, what, what we talked about was that relationship, relationships in general, make a home a home. Relationships make a home a home. And we talked about how, how we, as Christians at least, um, if, you're, if you're a Christian, this is what we believe, is that God made us this way. That the most important thing to us are our relationships most of all. And that we think in terms, most of all, of relationships. And that's why we can move physical homes, like dwellings. We can go even across the country. We can move, and yet we can still make a home in that new place. And that, that's why you, maybe over your Christmas, over the holidays, you may travel back home. Well, where is home? Well, it's wherever the relationships that are most important to you are. And then we talked about how God cares so much about us and wants to be in a close relationship with us that he made his home on earth. He made his dwelling among us, as John said. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that relationships make a home a home. And isn't it incredible that even a child not two years old recognizes this principle? And I think it's just because that's the bit of God that he has imparted on us and we are made in his image. Now, in the theme of home, isn't it also true um, that we all want a good home? Like, a home is good, and relationships are good, but more than that, we would want it to be a good home. A good home full of good relationships, that after a tough day at work, where do you want to go? Hopefully home. When you're tired, and you're stressed, you get done with the holidays, and you're stressed about the holidays, and you're not feeling so, uh, you know, celebratory anymore because of who you had to be around or whatever it was, that you wanted to go, you just want to go home. Or that sometimes in some of the worst times in our lives when we may be the most scared, we may be the most sad, we may be the most afraid, that when we think safety, when we think we just need to be safe, we think home. And that you, some of you, those of you who are parents or have parented or fostered or or are grandparents, that's what you want for your kids, isn't it? You, You want that for your grandkids. You want to create a good home for them. Why? Because you care about them. You want to create a space in which good and healthy relationships can take place. And the contrary of that, the opposite of that is also true, right? If we want a good home, the last thing we want is a bad home or bad relationships. We don't want that. That we don't want to dread going home. 
Because when you dread going home, when you do not have that safe space to go home to, if you can ever think to a time in your life where you've dreaded going home, primarily not because of the physical dwelling itself, but primarily because of the relationships that were there and the quality and the type and, and where those relationships were, you dread that. It makes maybe a, a really nice home physically a really bad place to go because, because the relationships there are negative. It brings the mood down. It brings everything down, in fact. It has effects on everything. Your parenting quality goes down when the home is not good. Your mood goes down. Your work goes downhill. And in some of the most painful times of your life could have been centered around your home, whether it be in your childhood or, or today. And so today, on the topic of, of Christmas at least, or, or in the spirit of Christmas, and when we think about going to other people's homes for Christmas, we, we may have thought for a time, like when you grew up, like Christmas was really magical, right? And they got gifts and all that kind of stuff. But now that you're adult and now that you know things, you know, you're more aware of things, you realize that even some of your Christmases can be a little bit tainted because of the quality of the relationships behind it, that they don't quite feel like home. They don't quite feel good. They feel more bad than anything else. And it kind of takes the magic away from Christmas. And, and, and if you don't recognize this in your own home, I certainly think it's easier to recognize it in other people's home. In fact, we have sayings about this, um, and, and not that my mom talked about other people behind their back per se, but as a teacher for 30 years, she, she would bring home stories all the time about students and what was happening in her day-to-day -day because that's, that's her day, right? When you ask her how was work, she would talk about what happened with her students. And often there would be a theme, and, and there's phrases to explain bad homes and, and the quality of a home that you've even heard, that, that he or she came from a bad home. Have you ever heard that said before? Or, or their home life isn't great, and so that explains their behavior. Why? Because there are consequences to a not-a-great home, and it affects and has lasting impacts on people's lives. You've seen it in your coworkers, right? They, they have some bad, bad things happening at home or some unfortunate things or some uncertainty at their home, and, and it affects their decisions. It affects their work quality. It affects their attitude. It affects us as, as their, their issues, their, their problems, the things going on in their lives or in the lives of people you care most about weigh on you, and it bothers you. So don't you think, wouldn't it be nice if in the midst of even the worst situations, the bad homes the bad relationships, wouldn't it be nice that in the midst of that, we could find, we have the potential to experience stability? Maybe you're in a season of, of uncertainty right now, and so this, this is pretty fresh on your mind because you think in terms of, I would just like to go back to a place of stability. And maybe you've been there before, and so it's easy for you to think about the times in which things haven't been stable, and you'd like to go to a place, or you'd like, you value more than ever the stability that comes with your home right now. That wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be nice for those you care about most that maybe are going through some things that they could find some direction. They could find some good values in the midst of their struggles and their difficulties in their home, that they could, that they could experience peace. That's what we're going to talk about today is the potential that even in the midst of some of the most challenging circumstances in, their li in our lives, if you haven't experienced them, they may be in the future, but that we could have peace, we could have stability. The closest, um, the closest people to Jesus, we, we call them the 12 disciples or the apostles, um, uh, Jesus' closest followers, he had many followers, but the closest ones are 12 guys, um, they had a very similar experience. They had a bad home 
a challenging home experience. Their home, in fact, got like turned upside down in like just a few moments, and it really took them by surprise. They didn't have a physical home, which actually kind of helps us to think about this more relationally than anything. They don't have a physical home because at this point they traveled everywhere that they went because they were following a man who traveled everywhere and taught everywhere and and did miraculous thing everywhere. Their home was Jesus. They had built their life around Jesus. Their home was Jesus. They, They had left their job as a tax collector to follow Jesus. And that was a pretty good, at least wealthy gig. It wasn't good relationally because you ruined people's lives because you took more taxes than you actually needed. But, but that's what you did, and now you're following Jesus. Some people left their fishing business, likely a business that had been in their family for generations. If your father did it, then you probably did it. And they walked away from their family tradition, their family career, to follow Jesus and make Jesus their home. For three years they did this. And if, if you've ever moved, you know that about the time, the time you roll into year three, it kind of starts to feel really like your home. It is your home. And that's where it was for these men as well. At this point in the story, things were going really, really well. They were kind of at the peak of things. There was tons of followers of Jesus, and they've been following Jesus for three years, and they feel like they're at the peak of it. In fact, they just walked into, just a, a few days before, they just walked into Jerusalem, the center of Jewish culture, the center of that area uh, in, in the Roman world at the time, 2,000 years ago, okay? And they walked into great fanfare. There was tons of people that came out. You might recall it. It's called Palm Sunday. There's people, they brought branches, and they set them down at Jesus' feet, and everybody was cheering Jesus, and they're thinking that Jesus is going to be pronounced the Messiah, the King of the nation of Israel, and make everything right, and they stood to benefit in the midst of all of it, because they had been the ones that were so dedicated. They had made Jesus their home, and if Jesus was going to take over, they were certainly in line to have some benefit in that. And then one night, Jesus gets all his guys around the table, and, and they're sitting there, and they're having a meal together. It's called the Passover meal. This is just right before Easter, if you kind of know your Christian timeline, if you grew up in church. And Jesus has them all sitting down, and he's explaining some things, and John tells us the story, and he essentially says, I'm leaving you. And they're like, what? He says, effectively, he says, I'm going to die. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? He says, I'm leaving you. It's all, as far as you're going to know, it's going to feel as though it's all over. That is like, I don't know about you, but that seems to me like a pretty good picture of instability. Like a good home turned bad real quick. Things were good, and now, now, now Jesus, the leader, the parent, is leaving. Gone. Adios. Bye bye. Maybe that's something that you've experienced in your life as well, and it creates really bad, tough situation. But Jesus recognizes the concern of his disciples, and so he responds, and John documents what Jesus said in response. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled, because I'm looking at your faces right now, and there is a lot of trouble going on. And I don't know what the disciples did at this point, but if I were in the room, I'd probably have laughed a little bit. Like, Jesus, don't let my heart be troubled. You just said you're leaving, man. We've been, we've been following you. We give up everything for you. And you're just going? You're going you're gonna to die? What? Our expectations, our hopes right now are kind of being crushed a little bit. 
And at a really deep level, essentially what they're saying is, you're messing with our home, Jesus. You're messing with our safe place, Jesus. You're messing with the person, the thing, the who that we go to when things aren't going great. When we need help, when we need direction, when we need to decide, why aren't these things working out? Why am I always arguing? Why is there always fighting? Why do I not make the best decisions? Why do I always get myself into, myself into these t- tough situations? How could I do this differently? Why, how can I make my home better? Jesus, and now you're leaving. You're messing with our home. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. He goes on, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, he's saying, trust me. Trust me. It's like to be, Jesus, you just said you're leaving, and now you're saying, trust me. Don't be troubled, trust me. This doesn't feel like a great situation, Jesus. Yeah, but trust me. Here's what Jesus is saying, at least in maybe more prevalent terms. Have you ever, do you you remember, and this might be difficult for you to remember the first time you ever went down one of these slides, do you ever remember that? Or maybe even a really big version of this? Or, or if you're a parent or grandparent, maybe you've seen your grandkids or, or your kids' first time going down a slide, okay? And probably the first time, they don't actually even go down the slide, do they? Because this is intim- intimidating. You, they're sitting up here. They're looking at you down here because hopefully that's where you are. Hopefully you're not over here on your phone, but you're right here, okay? So let's just assume you're a good parent and you're right here, okay? And your child is looking down the slide, big, scary, huge slide, like four times their size, okay? They're looking down. You're at the bottom. And what do you say as a parent? I got gotcha. you. I'm going to be here. You can go. It's safe. Trust me. And they're looking at this whole thing and they're saying, yeah, but you're here and I'm here and there's this huge gap between us. There's a huge instability. There's a huge, I'm not sure what's going to happen in this little gap here. And so what do you want me to do? This is what the disciples were feeling at this moment. It's like, Jesus, you were up here and then you climbed down and went down here and now you're saying, oh, trust me, it'll be fine. And I'm saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I could fall. I could go too fast. There's so many instabilities. How do I handle this? And we do exactly what the disciples do all the time when it comes to matters of faith. Whether you're agnostic, atheist, or you're a Christian, we sit there all the time as an adult, and we sit here and we say, yeah, but Jesus, do you really have me? Because I'm up here, and it feels like you're down here, and I'm not sure the gap and what's going to happen in here. And so it makes it really difficult to put my faith in you. It's really difficult to build my home, to build my life, to build what matters most on you, because I don't know if you, if, if, if you have me. In fact, it might just be easier for, for me to figure it out on my own. Maybe I'll just get down and walk down the other side and completely walk away from you. That seems easier, certainly in the short term. Maybe, maybe that's where you've been as well. And Jesus, anticipating the concern in the room, anticipating your and my doubt and insecurity, says this. He gives kind of this analogy to explain this. He uses the imagery of a home to explain the gap and how we should trust, why we should trust him. Here's what he said. My father's house has many rooms. If that, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you with me, that you also may be where I am. There's so many layers to this. We, we could do a whole series just on this passage alone, but I just want to look at one particular, particular component of this, and that is the place, the space. 
Jesus is is trying to plead with us to consider that we should trust him, that he will provide stability to us, even in the darkest and most uncertain times, and he's leveraging the idea of space to do it. To explain this kind of in a a, uh, very old-fashioned and yet modern way, this, this appeal that Jesus is making actually in some parts of the world hasn't changed in 2,000 years because how the, the, the disciples would have heard this is very similar how, to how people in Palestine today would have heard this because the tradition at the time, in fact, and is still true today, is that um, the, the patriarch or the uh, leader of the family, whoever was in charge of the family, would make sure that everybody in the family has a space to go a place to call home, that they hopefully would even choose to come back and make their dwelling, make their home with who's ever in charge of the family. Um, to, 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 so you can kind of picture this. I, I brought a picture along. Um, now, the whole point of this picture was actually to take a picture of, of the shepherd and the sheep um, because they still shepherd 2,000 years later. A lot of people shepherd in, in modern-day Israel and Palestine. Um, that, is a, that is a common um, is a common job, but what I loved is what's in the back, because if you see in the back here, especially on the big screen, you may be able to see there's garage doors here. There's a fully functioning house. The only thing that's kind of weird is on top of it, it looks like the top half of the house is incomplete, to which all of us here would say, that's just weird unless you're trying to avoid taxes on your home so you don't finish the last half of your home so you don't have to pay your taxes. That's not what's happening here because they really just don't even have taxes because the government, so, so it's just, anyway. So um, here is where people are living, and here is where they have made space. They have prepared a place so that if their family members, if their children, especially if they get married, can come home and have a place always, a place of security and safety to fall back on, to know that it is always there for them when they need it. That's the message Jesus is trying to get across. That's how his disciples would have heard this. It's like, no, literally, I am going to go prepare a place for you. It was the same way in those days, and this is an okay picture of it, but this is an ancient, uh, ancient Israeli home uh, foundation. You'd walk in here, here's the courtyard, and then here's all these rooms scattered around, um, around the entryway of the home. And so when someone would get married or someone would get in a tight spot or something, the family would all get together and they would build more rooms or at least one room onto the home so that their family members would always know they're welcome and safe. Jesus is saying in John 14, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Prepare a place for you. Think about this in terms of your life. How important would somebody have to be in your life for you to build a an additional room onto your home today for them to stay. Some of you are like, I don't even know how to do that for my kids, but just hypothetical for a second, okay? I'm not talking about just giving them a couch. I'm not talking about giving them the guest room. I'm talking about preparing a place, adding on. You're doing construction. You're adding an addition to your home to make space for someone. How much would you have to care about that person to make space? Most of you would say, they at least have to be family. 
Like, the bare minimum is I have to consider them a part of my family. I have to love and care about them so much for me to go out and build an addition onto my home so they know they have a place. And Jesus is saying, that's how much I care about you. Disciples, followers, you're going through a troubled time. Your hearts are troubled. And I want you to know that there is a room for you in my Father's home, and I'm getting it ready for you. That even when things aren't peaceful, even when things aren't safe, there is a space, there is a place in God's house for you. He's talking to me and he's talking to you and say, saying, you have a home. Regardless of what your home looks like in this world, you have a home. And you can count on me. God is using real estate to point to relationship. God is using real estate to point to relationship. The kind of relationship that Elia, just shy of two years old, knows is there, and it's right around the corner. You can't see it yet, but you know home is right around the corner. And not only that, but you know that that home has people that will keep you safe. That home has people that care deeply for you. It's difficult to see. There feels like there's a gap down the slide, yet. There's a little bit of road to go, yes. But it's there nonetheless. And it's nothing to do with structure, but it has everything to do with what matters most, and that is relationship. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice, I mean, hypothetical, regardless of where you are in your faith journey, wouldn't it be nice to know that in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of life, that you know you have a home? What would it mean to you if someone you knew did that for you? Said, I just want you to know how much I care about you, so I built this addition onto my home, so you know you would always have a place to go always have a place to go. Just like a parent at the end of the slide, God is trying to say to us, I got you. You can slide down, and I got you. I have you so much. I care about you so much, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. I have you so much that I just want to be with you. In fact, I will just come to you. I will just make my dwelling among you. Jesus is making his dwelling among you. Jesus is trying to communicate to us how much and show us how much God cares about us, how much God wants us to be a part of his family, and how Jesus is going to do what it takes to make that possible. And that's my hope for you, is that you would consider, as Jesus hoped for his disciples, that his disciples in this moment would consider trusting and putting their faith in him. As he said, I got you. Trust me. And we can do this too. We can do this too. God's using real estate to point to the relationship. We can do this too, especially for those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. We should do this too. We should individually be creating homes and environments, relationship. Why not just start over Christmas? What a better time. So that people who interact with us, who come maybe to our homes, know that we have created a space for them. A space that communicates how deeply we want to have a relationship with them. 
that is in a small way a reflection of God creating a place, preparing a place for us. To be a home, not just even over Christmas, maybe throughout the year, throughout our lives, where people can find peace. Even in the midst of trouble, that they know there's a safe place for them. That'd be pretty cool. That'd feel pretty cool to be on the receiving end of it, I think. As a church, that's what we hope to do. That's what we always need to be reminding ourselves of, is we're not a building or a place, but we can use the space that we create, use the environments that we create, that imperfect people may come, and they may know that they are exceptionally welcomed. And they are welcomed here because we all get what it means to be an imperfect people. And then to explore faith, explore a God who cares, explore a God who is a Savior, and find community in all of that. I think when we do that really well, when we have done that really well as a church, when we love people authentically, amazing things happen. When people can come and explore faith and safety, amazing things happen. When people can come and connect relationally, meaningfully, amazing things can happen. And, and you, hopefully, you, and hopefully the reason why you come back every week is in part because of that, that authenticity, that, it, that, that relationship. It changes people. It changes people's lives. And that's my hope, it's, especially as we wrap up 2019 and we go into a brand new year, that we would always make that a priority. And that you would feel encouraged to make that a priority in your life, or maybe you would be encouraged, invited. You may be ready to take the little push, the little nudge over to slide down that slide to a Father in heaven who says, I got you. I got you. Now, this is kind of where the, the message ends a little bit. And I want to talk about a little bit about the future just for a brief moment as we wrap up this year. Um, last week, if you were here, we had baptisms. It was pretty awesome. We had Stephanie and, and Maddie get baptized. Um, and baptism is always a fun time around here. Um, primarily, let's be honest, the baptism is awesome. Well, the life change is awesome. But it's just the coolest to be able to hear people's stories. And, uh, and we post the stories online. We'll post Maddie's and Stephanie's too. Give us just a little bit of the holidays and all that to get them posted. But if you keep track of our Facebook account, we'll get those stories posted if you weren't here last week. Um, but one of the things um, that Maddie said in her story that I just, I really loved and I really appreciate um, is what she said about her experience walking into Infused Church. She said this, in, in regards to this community of people, this was the true beginning of my faith journey. It's not like Maddie hadn't been to church before. It's not like Maddie didn't have people in her life who were Christian, because she did. She talked about that. But she said things started, my faith journey started when I came into this community, this church, this community of people. That was just the beginning of this year, was her first time in church. And then she ends the year publicly sharing her faith in Jesus and his love for her, and gets baptized. I think that's something we have to keep at the forefront of our mind, is how can we continue to create those environments in which people can explore faith and find community? 
Because that's essentially, in a way, what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples in that passage. And I think as we go into a new year in 2020, we have to continue to create those environments and build those relationships. Never stop making sure people feel welcomed and loved, imperfect as they are, to this community. That we could be a reflection of God's promise to us. That his son so loved, he so loved us that he gave his only son. Not to condemn us, but to save us. One of the new ways in 2020, we talked about this at our uh, State of the Church um, meeting last month. Um, One of the ways in which we are going to venture into continuing to do this, to better create these environments, is to move online. Um, Not that we're not having physical church, but, but that we are, in March of this upcoming year, going to have Infused Church online. And not just like a live stream, but an actual campus in which you can physically attend, you can chat, you can engage, and we can engage with you, you can engage with us, and we can build relationships with people near and far. That we would use digital real estate to build relationships, to build community, to be a small slice of the love of God to people near and far. And the reason we're going to do this, and there's quite a few of them, but one of the, one of the first ones is, is because it's not the future anymore. It, it's kind of the now. Like, the internet is here. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know what your screen time on your iPhone, or I don't know what they have on Google, that, like, it pops up every Sunday and tells me how much I spent on my phone this week. And it's, it's a real encourager. Like, you just feel like you've really invested your life well. That was sarcasm, by the way. Okay? <laughs> You're on your phone a lot. We are digitally connected people. It's not the future anymore. It's now. And so we as a church need to be there where people are, where people are most comfortable. Just as we try to create an environment here that is comfortable and accessible to first-time guests, it's not always everything. It's intimidating to walk into a church. Let's be honest. Hey, come on in and let me talk to you about God. That's a lot. And for a lot of people, their first time, I think about a quarter of our first-time guests at least interact with us somewhat on a digital platform first before they show up, Facebook, Instagram, or, or um, on, uh, on social media or on our website. And so we want to better connect with first-time guests. A lot of churches that we're talking to about this and learning from about this, saying that over the couple of years that they've started to do this, about half of their first-time guests always say that they attend online first. They attend on the online church first. And so we want to not just show ourselves, we want to be relational. That's why we do so much of what we do, is to be relational and compassionate to others. And the other thing is because we already have existing online attenders. Um, And so we want to grow our existing online attendance um, because they've kind of been sitting there saying, hey, like, Taylor, you're good, and that's nice, uh, but we'd like to see the band, and we'd like to see other people, and I don't blame you. There's only so much of me you can do. Talk to my wife. But anyways, some of you got it. Okay, then the last one is um, it's needed for future locations, um, because eventually in the future, we will start other churches. I don't know where. I don't know exactly how that will all work. We have some things in the planning books at the moment, um, but there are uh, and to, to do that and to do that well, it is a lot easier to stream one person preaching a one message than it is to have multiple people coming up with multiple messages in a week. Not everybody has capacity for that, and it's not an effective use of time. And so as we look into the future, this will help set us up to do that, do that really, really well. 
And so our hope is to continue to create those environments as a church in 2020, and I hope that you will, we will be a, pos- a part of that. Now, I realize for some of you, you're like, yeah, but Taylor, when are we going to build our building? Um, and I get that, and I know that, and, and I wonder that too. Um, so if you just happen to stumble across 20 acres free land, okay, and about 3 to $4 million to build a facility, let me know. I will gladly take that call. Um, but in a more or less sense, that's what it would take at this point, which is a little bit beyond our ability at this point. Um, But what we can do now, what is within our grasp now, how we can make an impact now, how we can create environments now, are things like this, because this does not cost that much to do. But it builds relationships, and it creates a space in which people can experience a God who says, I want to be with you, and I want you to trust me. And so if any of that is interesting to you and you're like, wow, online, that's cool. I'd love to be a part of that. I have more questions. I'd love to help make that possible. Um, please uh, feel free on your programs or even touch base with me after service and just say like, hey, I'd be interested in that. Let me know what's happening. Keep me in the loop um, as we get closer to that in March. Um, we have a lot to do, but love to have you a part of that. Okay, so that's what's happening in the future. And uh, if you would, bow your heads. We'll pray and, um, and sing a song and get you out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I, I thank you. Um, for, for Jesus. I thank you that wherever we are in our faith, um, trust or not, uh, a strong faith or a developing faith, a new faith, or just trying to figure it out, that we at least have the opportunity to know you better through your Son. That in times in which we need it most, especially, and even in the good times, that we could know a Father who says, I am preparing a place for you. That's how much I care. That's how much I will deliver if you choose to trust me. Thank you for that message. Help each and every one of us, even if we've been a Christian for a long time or just figuring it out, that that you would help us process through that. Remember it, learn it for the first time, and maybe even make that decision to put our faith in you. Thank you for being a father who loves us, who cares for us, especially around the Christmas season to know that you came to earth to be with us, to live with us, to make your home with us, because that's ultimately what you desire, and that's ultimately why you sent your son to die for us, is because you love us and you want to be with us to save us, and we thank you for that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you will consider putting your trust in Jesus as your home, as the foundation of your life, because I promise you, it will bring you peace. I hope you will also consider, us, consider joining us for Infused Church Online starting March 22nd. And if you haven't already, send us that email, taylor at infused.church, so that we know who you are and we can get you involved in this exciting new venture here at Infuse. Thanks again.